the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he's done for us. Hallelujah. Listen, I'll just open in prayer. Lord, as we sit before your word this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit will make your word alive in our hearts. Lord, you'll stir us. Lord, to lay off the dross, our, our spirits will be stirred and the dross will go, Father God, and we will see Christ more clearly. Lord, I pray that your word changes us. Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't know how you do it, but Father, you come and change us. And we thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that all hearing this morning, whether they are followers of you or whether they're ones who are looking and saying, who is Christ, will open their hearts to hear. And the Holy Spirit will do a work and draw us all closer and closer to you. Thank you, Father. It's only by your power and by your grace. Amen. If I could have the first slide up, please. The uh, first slide is, I should say, run with the gospel. That's... It's, that's the theme for this year, and it's not the theme that Peter chose, although Peter might think he chose it. But it's God gave it to him in his heart, for this is the time to run with the gospel. Amen. And so Peter, in obedience in a sense, made it our theme for the year, because God is wanting to bring again the word of Jesus Christ, or Jesus Christ himself, to the nation of New Zealand. And he's wanting to bring it this time through you and me. Individually, to our families, to our acquaintances, to those at our workplaces. He's wanting that to come forth. And so it's not my chance. It's a God-given time. This year, next year, for now is the time of salvation, God would say. Now is the time of salvation. He's done it before in New Zealand. I, a number of years ago, 10 years ago roughly, I was in Tauranga and I was traveling over to a small church in, in uh, Papamoa. I was staying in Tauranga and, and a man rang me up from that church and said, listen, we've got problems this morning. Do you mind picking up the man who was going to preach? He was in Tauranga and bringing him across and delivering him to our church. And so I said, sure, no problem. And so I went and picked him up and I picked up an 80-year-old man. He was about 82, 83. He looked older than me. He was older than me now. And I said to him, I said, listen, I said, as we drove over, I just thought I'd ask him some questions. He was from Australia. And I said, how did, how did you get saved? And he said, well, it was amazing, he said. He was a farm worker in Taranaki. And he went down through the small town, and there was a tent on the council park, it was an evangelical tent, something about come and meet Christ or something written on it. And he said, I looked at that and I thought, ah, those, I don't know, that's flaky. I'm not going there. And he said, I drove through. And he said, the next week I went to, it was, another, it was a different town. He said, there was the same tent. The guy, I'll tell you who it was in a minute, but that tent had been moved. And that moved was now on a, a, a different town on the common area. And he said, I had a compulsion to go in. He said, so I stopped and he said, I, I went to the meeting. I sat at the back. 
And he said the man got up and he wasn't really a remarkable sort of guy and he spoke and he says, I don't know how it happened. He says, but I got up and I went to the front and I asked the man, how can I be saved? And I was saved. I was wonderfully saved. And he said, and from that point on, he followed Christ. And his story was that he went over to Australia and he founded churches. And he was still leading a church in Australia when I met him. So the, the word has gone forth. Yes. That tent, by the way, was Rob Wheeler, oh, who God used to found this church. And Rob had a ministry of going around for about two years. He went from town to town. He'd be in a town for two weeks. And then he'd move to the next town. And his message was Christ. His message was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the answer. Hallelujah. And God wants that message to go forth again today. For the world is quiet. The world out there, it's a quiet world out there when you're here for Jesus Christ. You don't hear much of Jesus Christ apart from the curse word. Every now and then it will pop up somewhere. But it's quietened down. And God does not want that. God is bringing it that he's going to come forth and it's going to come forth with a rush and a volume. But it's not going to come forth from a large speaker at the Vector Arena spreading the word. That might happen. But it's going to come forth from you and me. Amen. And it's going to come forth powerfully from you and me. Yeah. And you might sit there today and think, whoa, this hasn't even come out of my mouth hardly. How can that be powerful? That's okay. God will change us yeah. to bring it forth. Well, that's what God does. Hallelujah. Yeah. Just as I get into my message, I, we had a prayer meeting this morning, and I just want to share you a word for you, Talanga. The word I had is Caleb. Mm -hmm. God has got a Caleb spirit upon you. Yes. You might not even know it. But you see, Caleb was a faithful man. And by I mean faithful, he believed in God. Caleb was a man who... God sent into the, when, when they came to the promised land, he was one of the 12 that was sent into the promised land. And they saw giants and they saw bountiful fruit. In fact, the great, it says the, the cluster of grapes they brought back, they had two men had to carry it. It was that big. I've never seen anything that large. And I haven't seen giants either. But Caleb came back and he was one of the two men who said, we can take that land because our God will take that land. Yes, we can trust in our God, not in our strength, in our God. Forty years later, just over 40 years later, he finds himself now in the promised land. And Joshua dividing up and saying, go here, you can take this land. And there was a hill country where the Anakims, which were the giants, still reigned and still sat in, in Canaan. And Caleb said, Lord, give me that land. I can still fight the fight. And he went and he took that land. And so I believe the word of the Lord for you, Talanga, is that you've been faithful. God's seen your faithfulness, but he says there's giants still to come. Yeah. There's giants to come, and trust me, you'll overcome them. Amen. Trust me that you can believe for him to overcome those giants. And you'll be a man that everybody else will say, oh, the circumstances are against him. He's not strong enough to beat those giants. But you will know that the battle is in the spirit. Yes. It's a spiritual battle. And your God will deliver that to you as he did to the, for, for, to the land for Caleb. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. 
all the good news of Christ. We're running the race. Let's run the gospel. With this seventh series, seven week series, let's run the race. And Peter's preached on the first one, which was feed the flame. Preached from 1 Timothy 2, second, sorry, 2 Timothy 1 to 6. It's all based on 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is the book that, it's the last letter that Paul wrote. Paul's writing, he's in prison for the last time, and he knows his end is near. We find that when you get to the end of 2 Timothy, you'll find his words show that he knows the end is near. And it's this last letter he's writing out. And he's pouring himself into it. Pouring what God wants to be in it. And the second week, last week, Joseph shared on being unashamed or having an unashamed courage for the gospel. A wonderful word. I wasn't here, I watched it online, you know, and I text Joseph, I said, Joseph, a wonderful word. He did very well, but it wasn't because he did very well, it's because God spoke through him and life came from his words. And life touched me as I watched it on the screen. Wonderful. And this week, it's the gospel shaped by faith. If we could have that up, please. Before I just move, and I'm going to preach from a, script, a scripture in 2 Timothy 1, chapter, verse 11, I think. But first we go there, I'll just want to read a scripture. It's at the beginning. I think that might be my next slide, is it? We just have the next slide up. Yeah. Yes. Second. This is the beginning of the letter, and I just want to go over these two verses, because this contains the fundamentals of all what he speaks about in his letter. Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And there I want to emphasize by the will of God. Paul saying, I'm here, I'm an apostle by the will of God, not by my volunteering, not by him deciding, oh, this is what I will do for the Lord, but the Lord choosing him and saying, Paul, will you do this for me? And Paul saying, yes. But it's according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. You see, it's not just God and Paul saying, Paul, I want you to go and do something. No, it's because of the promise of life in Christ Jesus that God calls him and sends him forth. And he goes forth in the promise of life in Christ Jesus. And he goes around Asia, in Asia Minor, as we would know it today, and lower Europe. He goes around preaching on the promise of life in Christ Jesus all focused on Christ, all focused on him. That was his message. And the second part, he says to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. These are important words. Grace, he says. See, grace is more than just unmerited favor. Grace is the power of God to enable you to run the race. Grace is the power of God that God would give in all ways to you to run the race that he's calling you to. So you might be sitting there today saying, whoa, God's choosing us to touch this city, to touch this nation, to touch my family, and I've hardly opened my mouth for 10 years. 
on the gospel. And God's grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is what will make the difference. As His grace comes upon you, you'll find yourselves opening your mouths and sharing of Christ that you never thought you would. Why? Because of His grace. Not because of your learned ability. Not because of your self-stirred-up boldness. But because of the grace of God upon you. And you will be like Paul. Bold. He was bold. He was courageous. He was fearless for the gospel. Hallelujah. My grace is sufficient, he says. So if we could just turn to our key verse today. 2 Timothy 1.13. Hold fast the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in faith which is in Christ Jesus. Hold fast. Hold fast. Hold fast means to hold it tightly, but to hold it tightly in the right way. I've got a, I've got a small yacht, and it's important when you dock it to hold it, to strap it up correctly, to rope it correctly to the wharf. And you only have to ask my wife. It's the time when things go amok and it's when I shout and I shouldn't shout. Put that rope on that. What rope on what? That one. And a few other words might come out, but I've learned to calm down and I now try to say very clearly before we go in, it's the blue rope and it's to go on that bollard over there. But in the midst of strong winds, and you will in your life come across strong winds. And in the midst of rough waves, and you will in your life come across rough, wa rough waves. It's very easy to forget yeah. and to start yelling out, grab that rope and put it over there. <laughs> and the person looking at you has no idea what rope or where. Yeah. Hold fast. And then he says another thing. What are we holding fast? The pattern of sound words. Not just hold fast the words, but the sound words. And the sound words means truth. The sound words means the gospel. The gospel is sound words, truth, life. But he says the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me. He says, and how am I, how am I to hold that pattern of sound words? In faith and love. See, the pattern of sound words. It's important how sound words are held. And they're held in our heart. And so it's important the condition of our heart of how we hold them. Because I can hold truth with legalism. And the Bible tells me that legalism kills. Yeah. And I'll stand here this morning and say, over my Christian walk, I have at times held truth with legalism in my heart and said, this is what the word of the Lord says. And I can lay it out for you, line by line, precept upon precept, accurately. And you know the person I've spoken to just went straight past them. Why? Because it came out of a heart of legalism. It came out of a heart of the letter. It wasn't in faith and love. It was in righteousness. He says, not my self-righteousness, nor the righteousness of the law that brings life. The law could not bring life. It brought no life. The law brought people face to face with their sin, but they could not see the other side. They could not see life. And so it's important how we hold these sound words. And that gives them their pattern. 
the pattern of sound words is where how it's held. And, God, and Paul's here speaking of and says, hold fast that pattern of sound words in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. It's just not formed by my effort. Look at me, I can say. I'm a, I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. I serve here, I do this, I do that. But you know, if it's self-effort, it cuts no mustard with God. It counts nothing. Because my efforts, God's not looking for my efforts. He's not looking for what I do. He's looking for my heart. You see, the thing about it is, we look at David, and David had a heart after God. He had a heart after God. He was only one, I think he's the only man in the Bible that's spoken of as having a heart after God, but that was his distinction. His heart was a heart after God. And when it says there's a heart after God, it didn't mean he just had a heart that chased God. It meant he had a heart that was similar to God's. He had a heart like God's. His, God's heart had been worked into David. And that's God's purpose in all of us, to bring the heart of Christ in each one of us, that we will walk and stand amongst the world and people will see Christ in us. There will be an aroma of Christ around you. That's what God's desiring to bring forth. It's not what he's looking for, it's what he's promised to do and is determined to do and is going to do. And it's up to us to say, yes, I will hold fast that pattern of sound words in love and faith in Christ Jesus. Or I'll say, no, I, I don't want to go there. But I pray that you want to go there. I pray that each one of you want to go there. Because God is looking for willing hearts. He's looking for a heart of willingness. Willing hearts will lead to servanthood. Willing hearts will lead to all these other things. But God looks for a willing heart. It's the willing heart that pleases God. And that's why he was so pleased and he favoured David. And David was favoured highly. And Israel saw peace under David and saw prosperity under David. And that was just a result of God's favour upon him because he loved his heart. He loved his heart. David did some bad things. We all know that. But what you do is different than where your heart's at. Now, now, I'm not giving you license to go and do things. And Paul speaks about in the Romans, he says, God forbid that because you have now found Christ, you would then go and do bad things. He says, no, 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 don't do that. But he says, it's your heart, not what you do. That's the critical thing. And so if it's shared, the run, run, run to, 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 for the gospel, it's, based, it's shared in faith. Hold fast in faith. God wants to form Christ within each one of us. So much so, as I said before, that your very presence brings the aroma of God to your workplace. Your very presence brings the aroma of God to your acquaintances. And you know what? Some of them will receive you and some will reject you. Nevertheless, God wants you to be bold and courageous in that and 
continue in that with faith, knowing that where you go, he goes. Because he's in you. He's formed himself in you to be seen and tasted by the world. If we can now move to the next scripture, which I think then Paul goes on and gives us three patterns or pictures of people who's calling us to be. But we must be careful here that we don't grab it in the wrong way. It's easy to, to hold it in the wrong way. <coughs> First he gives us a, a, um, a soldier. I'll just read it through. and I don't have my scriptures there, so I'll read it from there. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking husbandman or the farmer who must first eat the crops. So he gives us three pictures and then he goes on. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So he says there's a heap of understanding in those three pictures. And the first is a soldier. And in the natural, what's a soldier? He doesn't, the soldier doesn't have to do much apart from fight. He doesn't have to feed himself, the army feeds him. He doesn't have to clothe himself, the army clothes him. He doesn't have to get his weapons, the army gives him weapons. All he has to do is obey. That's in the natural. But this is, whose battle is this? Whose army is it? And it's the Lord's army. Who's the commander? Christ. And what's he looking for? You know the easy answer is to say obedience. But that's not the answer. He's not looking for obedience. He's looking for a willing heart. He's looking for a willing heart. Because a willing heart in the army leads to obedience. How can I please, I think it says there. Since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So I wake in the morning and say, Lord, let my heart please you today. And let my actions please you. You see, obedience can lead back to the law. If I just said it was obedience, you'd go end up back in the law. And the law never brought life. The law never brought the freedom. The law never brought life unto others. It brought constraints and bondage. But God is a different way. He is a supernatural way. It's not a natural way. And so while he uses this as a natural thing of a soldier, he's asking us to look beyond that and see the spiritual application. And that spiritual application is to be a soldier in God's army who is seeking to please him. And that will lead to obedience. But it's the seeking to, uh, seeking to please him that's the key. And then he says of an athlete. And again, the next question. Whose race is it? You know, you start to think when you're running the race that it's your race. Because athletics is sort of an individual sport in a general sense. If you're running in a 1,500-meter race, it's you. Nobody else can make your legs go faster. 
Nobody else can get more air into your lungs. And so you must train. And you must train diligently. And you've heard the stories of the great New Zealand runners and the 25 or 22K run through the Waitakere's. And they became world champs and they trained. Peter Snell, Murray Halberg and others. John Walker, they trained. It's hard work. And you know they were volunteers. It's interesting, I'll go back to the soldier. You're not a volunteer. You were enlisted. His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. God calls you. He calls you to this race. This run, run the race. This race of sharing the gospel, he's called you to it. You didn't volunteer. It's a matter of whether we say, I'll hear that call and I'll run the race or I won't. We have a choice. We always have a choice. Oh, but God works mightily to bring that cho choice to fruition. He places people like me in front of you to share the word this morning, to stir it up within you, to believe, yes, I'm, not an, I'm an enlisted person. God has called me and placed me. You know, God called and placed you before the world began. Yeah, amen. That's the truth. Before he created this world, he knew you. He knew you for this time to go forth into this world and share the gospel. And his promise is that I will be with you and I will give you sufficient grace that my word will go forth in power. Not in the power as you might think of the mind because again, when Jesus came, people wanted to see us, oh, a power, and they wanted to see a, a man on a white horse riding through Jerusalem with a big sword in his hand, killing the Romans. It wasn't like that. He came and turned the world upside down by dying on the cross. And we will turn the world upside down by speaking of him who died on the cross and being prepared to suffer for him. And the world will be turned upside down. But it requires that to have formed in us, that faith by form, that gospel to be formed in us with faith and love. Paul says, he says later on in Timothy, I finished that race or that course that God chose for me. I don't think he actually said in the Bible that what God chose for me, but I know he knew it because you read the rest of his works, words and he knew that God had chosen him for that time, for that mission. And the natural... Um, and what about the rules? Because it says there's rules in the race, according to the rules. And so then we can take us back to obedience. Oh, I must obey. I must obey. I must do this. I must do that. Because in the natural, you have to obey the rules to get the crown. If you run out of your lane, you get disqualified. If I step out of the shot put circle when I'm putting the shot, I disqualified. What does that mean for us in the spiritual? Again, God's looking for the heart. He's looking for a heart that seeks after righteousness. For the one thing, one thing, and there'll be other things, but the one thing that will prevent the gospel from flowing from you is unrighteousness. Willful unrighteousness will stop the flow of the Holy Spirit through you unto the world. You can share the road, you can tell the story exactly as maybe you learned it, but unrighteousness stems the impact of God, and the Holy Spirit lets it go flat. And no change occurs. 
And so the crown is not one. But God is wanting us to wear the crown. And he's calling us, oh, desire for righteousness. For he who seeks after righteousness shall be filled. Hallelujah. And then we come to the farmer. And this is the third example. You know, I prefer, you'll, you'll read this in your scriptures and it just talks about a farmer in most of them, but you go back to the King James and it talks about a hardworking husbandman. See, husbandman is a good word. It means the, the man who's a farmer on a master's land. You're not the farmer of your own land. You're farming on your master's land. And there's parables in the Bible where it talks about the master owning his land and he goes away and leaves husbandmen in charge of it. And God has done that with us, the church. Jesus Christ has gone back to the heaven and he's left hardworking farmers in charge of his land. Hardworking, why? Because they raise at five o'clock in the morning and they go out and they have to till the ground at the right time of the season. You know, you have to till the ground even while it's hard, and it's hard work. And you have to go out in the rain and do it, and you have to sow at the right times, and you want to go off and watch the football match, or you want to go overseas on your holiday, but it's planting time. And if you're a farmer, you can't. You take your holidays due to the seasons, due to what happens, not your choice. That's in the natural. And in the in the spiritual, this farmer, he's hardworking. And in the natural, it's in his own strength. There's good farmers and bad farmers. In the natural, it's those who do very diligently and they learn and they maybe go on to Lincoln College or some other agricultural college and they learn how to husband the land and the flocks. But in the spiritual, What's the application to us? Why is Paul telling us this? Well, we read the second part and it makes the sense. The hardworking husbandman must first eat of the crops. He must eat of the produce. You can't work for God unless you eat of him or eat of his fruit. It's the fruit of God that we must eat. And we eat his fruit. And then you'll have the strength to be a hardworking farmer. If you eat of his fruit, you'll have the strength to rise in the morning and it's raining and says, I'll go forth and plant. You'll eat of his fruit and it's a dry day and the weeds are all growing and you'll have the strength to go forth and weed and weed and weed because a lot of the time a crop farmer is weeding. Not very glamorous, but it's weeding, pulling out weeds, hoeing the soil around the plant, and going home. Hardly something that ever makes the headlines in the paper. Oh, but in, the, in God's, God's field, oh, God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because you've eaten of my fruit. Because what does eating of his fruit bring forth in you? Faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as you sit under the word of God, as you press into and read the word of God, his life-giving word that gives actual life to my spirit, what comes forth in me is faith. 
faith that God is going to. We talked, I just shared a prophecy there with Talanga. Faith to believe that when we see the giants, my God will overcome. Faith to believe that those circumstances that would make me go, ooh, I'm undone. Faith to believe that my God will overcome the giants. That's what comes within you. Paul had that faith. Paul knew he was going to Rome and he knew he was going to go into prison. And I tell you, prisons in Rome were not, they weren't easy chairs. And yet he was on his way to Rome and God brought such a violent storm onto that ship. Paul could have said, ha, ah, this is a sign from God that I'm not to go to Rome. And I'll let the ship break up and I'll go ashore and I'll just disappear into Asia. And they'll never find me. And they wouldn't have. But he knew with faith what God had called him to. And he stayed the course and he went to Rome. And he wrote the Gospels from his prison cell. And we read them today and they give us life. Because he had faith. John the Baptist, the greatest of all the prophets, Jesus said, preached for one and a half years roughly, that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, repent. Didn't have much more than that to say. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Powerful words though, because it was at hand. He saw it was just coming. He knew, because when he saw Christ coming to him, he says, there's the one whose feet I'm not worthy to do their shoelaces up on. So he saw he had a revelation of the kingdom, the king of the kingdom coming to earth and entering his ministry. He said, therefore, he must increase and I must decrease. And I'm not sure who it was, but one of the Herods got him and threw him in prison. And we read later in the Gospels, Peter saying, is this the one, is, is this the one who was to come or have I been mistaken? But he kept the faith. And I'll come to why in a minute. Because if we go to that last saying, I might have it there, I'll just read it. In 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 13, he then says, the saying is trustworthy, and you can depend on this, he says to, to Timothy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Yes. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a finish. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. Yeah. And so Peter, who was in prison, darkness was upon him. He was going to get his head cut off. A few months later, he didn't realize it. But he was saying, is this the Christ? His faith wasn't quite full. It was half full at this point. God, Jesus sent him an answer back. But you see, he who is faithless God says, I'll be faithful. And God's faithful on our behalf. Peter's fishing. Peter's fishing and caught nothing all night. And Jesus appears unto him and says, listen, go and cast your nets over there, not very far from shore. And Peter's thinking, it's not, it's not in Scripture, but I believe Peter's thinking, we never fish over there. Well, those people who fish over there are just are little people from the shore and they never catch anything. And if they catch anything, it's only a couple of fish. There's no fish there. Nevertheless, at your words, I'll do it. 
And he went and did it. And the outcome was a net so full he couldn't bring that net in and he had to call out to the other boats to come and help him. You see, when our faith diminishes, God's faith, he's faithful. God's faith comes through. And he says, no, that seems like that can't be overcome. That seems there will be no harvest. Cast your nets over there and there will be a full harvest. Hallelujah. He asks us, though, for a willing heart. He asks us. I don't want to offend people when I say this, but it's got to come from a willing heart. He doesn't ask us to be on time. He doesn't ask us to do those things. Sure, I was on time this morning. He doesn't ask us, in my case, to be a good preacher. It's not my own abilities. He asks me to have a willing heart. And my willing heart will lead me to be on time. And my willing heart will lead me to make sure that I have read his word and said, Lord, and, and wait before him and say, Lord, what is it that you want to discharge unto the people this morning? And then I seek as a soldier to please the Father. Mm-hmm. Seek as a soldier to please him who's enlisted me. During the week, but it should happen all the time. But if I follow him during the week, I open my heart and say, Lord, search my heart for unrighteousness. And Lord, speak to me. And you know he does because within me, righteousness, unrighteousness abounds at times. You don't see it. My wife will see it. It abounds. An angry word, even on we're docking the boat, grab that rope over there. And <laughs> you <laughs> won't say sometimes the other words that have come forth. Shocking words. God speaks to your heart about it. He says, listen. I want my heart to form in you. Because Christ never spoke to anybody that way. Christ never spoke to anybody that way. Remember he came to that woman caught in adultery? The letter of the law. You ought to be stoned. That's the law. You ought to be stoned. Stoner. No, no, no. His heart. His heart. The word in God and Jesus had been formed in faith and love. And so he turned to the others and said, if any of you have sin, have no sin, you can cast the first stone. And of course they couldn't. Who could cast the stone? Christ could. He had never sinned. And even he said, go thy way and sin no more. Hallelujah. That doesn't mean we can sin. No, no, no. But it means God speaking to us about our heart. What's my heart like? Is it legal? Stoner. That's the law. No. No, go thy way and sin no more. Formed in faith and love. And so as you wait upon God and let the, let the unction of God as it was come upon you, the story of Christ will become a revelation to you. It probably already has for most of you. But let it become a revelation to you again in a freshness. And you'll find it's you hold fast those sound words. Hold fast the gospel in faith and love. Yeah. And when you share it, it's not something rote that you've memorized in your sharing. You're sharing of someone you know. Someone who has presented himself to you in the quiet times of your prayer times. And he's shown himself to you, an aspect of him. And you know we see him dimly, but the day will come and we'll see him with much clar- all clarity. 
But nevertheless, even of that which I dimly see, I can share with the world, and it's gold for them. I share with the world, and it's life for them. I share with the world, and it's not a natural thing. It's supernatural. It's spiritual. And it'll go into their heart and bring forth life. And so my encouragement to you is spend time with God. Spend time with Jesus. Don't share the gospel out of an expectation that's laid upon you. Sure, I want you to share the gospel. But don't do it because I want you to share it. I'd rather you don't share it. But find the time to go to God. And when God, when you hear God and, he, and you know Him, you will seek to please the one who has enlisted you. Hallelujah. And so my message this morning is share the gospel. Share it in faith. Share it from the one who has enlisted you. And as you meet Him, faith will grow in your heart. And you know you'll find it an easy thing. You'll find it, oh, that you're so ready. Paul was hauled up between, before Felix, and I think Felix was a governor of the land. He was a Roman appointee. Oh, he found it so easy to share about his Savior. Why? Because he'd met him on the road to Damascus. He had met him in the 14 years on the, from the road to Damascus before he came back to Jerusalem and started to preach. He had met him in his quiet time. He had met him as he read his, as he um, allowed himself to be ministered to and read, in, in Paul's case, read the Old Testament, not the New Testament. Oh, we are much more blessed because we have the New Testament. The sound words I have are in my hand in a sense, but God doesn't want them in my hand. He doesn't want them even in my head. He wants them in my heart. And I'll come forth. By the grace of God, they'll come forth with power. By the grace of God, they'll come forth with sweetness that leads people to Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As we sing a song, as a finishing song this morning, I just want to say there's a couple, I believe... I believe there's somebody in this room who doesn't know Christ. I believe actually there's two people in this room who don't know Christ, but I'm not sure. I just believe that. But if that's one of you, as we sing forth, I want you to, I'd love you to come to the front. I'd love you to respond because God says, come, I know you. God says, come, I've known you before you were born. God says, I've known you since I started to form this world. And I love you. And I cherish you, and I'll make you mine. Come to me. Come to me, says God.